0: Good morning, my name is Sonia Luhrmann and as Ian said, I teach anthropology at Simon Fraser University and I'm very honored and happy to be here this morning. I also, I think, tend to speak relatively fast, so if I do that, raise your hand and slow me down. I also have to apologize in advance uh, that um, my voice ma- might sound a little funny at times because, uh, This year, I am going through chemotherapy for cancer treatment. And those of you who have experienced that in your families, you might know that it attacks all the cells that grow fast in your body, including the the mucous membranes in your throat. So if I start sounding funny, think that cancer is a bad thing, and it's good that we have science to combat it, right? so today, I will be talking about my research on the history of Soviet atheism and Soviet attempts to promote atheist values beyond the idea of just there is no God, religion is wrong, uh, but ideas about what do we actually put in the place of religion. But to get started with that, I just wanted to get a little bit of a show of hands um, Of who in this room would be comfortable calling themselves an atheist? Okay, that's a pretty, uh, looks like a majority of people. Uh, Who would prefer the term humanist over atheist? Mm -hmm. So, some overlap there. Um, So as as you listen to me talk, you can also start thinking about what do these two different terms mean to you and what might be the difference between the two terms for you. Okay, so if you had been an atheist in the Soviet Union, uh, you actually sometimes would have fought against a relatively bad image of yourself. Um, So the gentleman on the left is um, sort of a a caricature of an atheist propagandist from a 1950s Soviet movie. Uh, It's a movie about a New Year's celebration, and everyone comes together in a center a little bit like this one, sort of a cultural center. What they really want to do is have fun and dance and listen to music, but before they get to do that, they have to listen to this boring lecture about the origin of the universe delivered by this atheist lecturer, who in the process, you know, gets drunk and sort of goes off topic, and everything ends happily, everybody gets to have fun. But that was sort of the image that even people in the Soviet Union had of atheists. They're these boring, pedantic people who keep you from having fun. Um, And by the time I was doing research in the early 2000s in uh, provincial Russia, it was actually pretty hard to find people who were comfortable identifying as atheist. But I did meet these two lovely ladies in the photo down below on the right uh, who were in their 70s and 80s but had very happy memories of going out and going to villages Trying to teach people about the, um, the the discoveries of Soviet science and medicine and things like that, and they had experienced that as kind of a public service that they were delivering, and um, an ethic of working with people, connecting with people. That you could kind of feel in meeting with them that these were people who had been devoted to public service their whole lives. And in that way, in a strange way also, they reminded me of the religious activists I was also meeting during my research, so there was kind of an interesting overlap in that ethic of wanting to meet people, wanting to serve people. One of the reasons why the Soviet Union and in post-Soviet Russia has a bad reputation is that it's connected mainly with destruction. And for good reasons. That was the first thing that the Soviet Union did after the revolution in, the, in 1917, was destroying uh, former buildings of worship, churches, mosques, synagogues, uh, turning them sometimes into buildings for other purposes. as happened with this church. It was turned into a store for furniture. Um, other places were turned into storehouses. Other houses of worship were just destroyed, Um, So there was a lot of destruction and um, negative energy connected with Soviet atheism. Uh, But at the same time, uh, there was also an attempt to think about what do we put in the place of this destruction? What is something new that we are offering? And this is a quote from Leon Trotsky, Uh, where he thinks about the relationship between the church, the tavern, or the pub, and the cinema. And he says, the cinema competes not only with the tavern, but also with the church. And this rivalry may become fatal for the church if we make up for the separation of the church from the socialist state, which um, had been one of the first decrees of Soviet power, Uh, by the fusion of the socialist state and the cinema. So I hear that you're going to see a movie next week. That's maybe part of that same spirit. Um, And uh, what is behind this idea is the idea that religion, as these people working in the Soviet Union, especially in the rural areas of the Soviet Union, encountered it, was very localized and it was tied to particular ethnic and family and local traditions. And one of the first things that the Soviet state tried to oppose to religion was this idea of being able to show the same images all over the country, being able to show images of the modernization cities being built, factories being built, that kind of thing. And some churches were literally turned into cinemas, like that little image that you see on this slide. Um, this is a church that was a cinema for about uh, 10 years, I think, between, uh, between um, 1937 and the, the late 1940s when then it was again turned into a church for a while and then it was destroyed eventually in 1961. Um, So there was this this idea of constructing a new kind of culture and putting it in place of the religiously infused culture that people were inheriting from the past. (laughs) And from the beginning there was this idea that this new culture had to include new gender relationships. And one of the places where Soviet atheists were getting this idea from was from Friedrich Engels, um, Karl Marx's collaborator and companion, who published a book in 1884 called The Origin of the Family, Private Property and the State*. It's a book that we as anthropologists like because he actually drew on the research that anthropologists were doing at the time in different... Um, so First Nations, Native American cultures, to look at how gender and family relations had been different across history. Um, And Engels' argument was that actually the the rights and almost property-like status that in patriarchal society the husband or the father had over his family, over his wife and children... That those kinds of rights were the first form of private property, and this is where private property originated from, and eventually, you know, other forms of of state domination. Um, so that, and part of that argument was also that once that form of property was established, it was religious traditions who helped to uh, to uphold it. So the uh, the traditions that you might have in a religious group to uh, groups to uh, a privileged male clergy over the ability of women to officiate, so, um, or the the religious sanctions for certain kinds of forms of marriage that then a woman would have a hard time getting out of. Those were all ways that Engels and those who were reading him saw religion of upholding and perpetuating certain structures of of patriarchal domination. So this would have been a book that if you were trying to do atheist propaganda in the 1930s, 40s, 50s Soviet Union, you would have been reading it and you would have been drawing part of your ideas from that, thinking, um, okay, this is what... This is one way in which I can explain the harmful influences of religion and the new things that Soviet power is trying to do. And because much of the population of the Soviet Union was rural, and although people were becoming literate, they were still very um, very perceptive very receptive to visual information. We have a lot of wonderful posters that illustrate these atheist ideas, so I'm going to show you some of these posters and I'm hoping that those will also help us spark some discussion. Uh, So this is a 1930s poster that uh, shows this idea that religion is is one of the forms in which Older generations and older ways of being together kind of have their influence on the young. Uh, so here you see the grandmother trying to drag the daughter to church while she would rather go to, sh- to school so that um, the building on the right-hand side is labeled uh, Scholar School in Russian. So the school is sort of the, the happy, bright, future-oriented offering that the Soviet state is making whereas you see this decrepit church that um, is really not very attractive to this poor young Soviet girl. And this is a later poster, which again associates (coughs) atheism with this idea of the liberation of women. In this case, the woman is stepping out of this dark area dominated by bearded priests, and walking into the bright light of the, the new socialist factory, uh, which of course, you know, we could also think of, is factory work really that liberating? So, But at that point, it was portrayed to be so. The Soviet Union, of course, was also a multi-ethnic and multi-religious society, Um, so it's interesting to see what these images look like when you start getting into more of the non-Slavic regions. And the poster you see on top, on the left, is from Central Asia, from Uzbekistan, where in the 30s and 40s they had these movements to rid women of their veils. Um, So the Paranjah that's referenced here, we will completely eradicate the Paranjah, is like a local version of the burqa, like a full body veil. And um, there were these demonstrative occasions where women would come forward and kind of take off these burqas and show themselves as these modern Central Asian women. Um, Some interesting features that you might notice is that they're still all wearing some form of head covering. Uh, so this idea that you wear a scarf or a cap on your hat very much remained part of what you might look like as a modern Soviet woman, especially in the rural areas, uh, all the way through you know, to the, into the 1980s and 1990s. Uh, and below, you also see that, that you know, the same idea of we are showing that we are overcoming religion by showing young, healthy women's bodies and of being more exposed than before. Uh, the same idea also uh, was current when you're, you're looking at, again, Russian populations. Um, so this is a photo from the city of Gorky, which is today called Nizhny Novgorod. So it's more in the center of Russia, not that far away from Moscow. And these are female athletes at some kind of competition, posing in front of a building that was built originally as a Russian Orthodox girls' school. So this would have been a school to, to educate you know good, pious, Russian Orthodox Christian women. And by the time that the photo was taken, it was a teacher's college, like a, a university. And you see, does this have a, oh no. What happened now? Um, I was trying to see if does this has have a pointer but here you see this is this is probably a portrait of Lenin that's sort of cut off a little bit so in these pictures, you see a little bit um, the propaganda view of this liberated woman, so you know they're all very happy to cast off the past and They are in some way completely transformed and become new people, a new kind of liberated woman going into the Soviet present. Uh, These next two pictures that I wanted to show you, they come from a family album, and they show a little bit more of, I think, what actually happened. Uh, So um, this is a a family album from uh, people of the Mari nationality so um they are finno-ugric speaking population so people who speak a language that's related to Finnish Estonian Hungarian and they live on the Volga river in Russia so again we're not that far away from Moscow but we're sort of in a rural area and this is these are two pictures of the same family One taken in 1945, and one about 30 years later in the 1970s. In the older picture, you see the women in very traditional dress. So this is what they would have been wearing in in their homespun peasant dress. Yes, it's in winter. It's, um, It's probably the end of the war. So actually, when I looked with the family at this album, the commentary that their contemporary descendants gave to that 1945 picture is, this is what people wore when there were no clothes. So they're wearing their kind of traditional homespun um, clothing, which today, of course, looks very fancy and beautiful, but it's also a sign of, of poverty of this family. But you do see also the traditional of head coverings of this population. So this is not a Muslim population. This is just like, um, they were partly Christianized, partly had an indigenized religion, and they had their own indigenous religion. Um, By the 1970s, you see the older generation, these women standing to the right, are still in some kind of traditional costume. The younger women are dressed more in contemporary store-bought clothing. Everyone is still, every woman is still in some kind of head covering. They're wearing scarves on their heads, in part because they are in a forest in the summer and there are probably mosquitoes around, so they're trying to cover themselves up. The men of the family are still kind of posed at the center, Um, but in a way you have a bit of a more playful pose where also uh, the men are holding some of the younger children in the middle. Um, So you do see a little hint of changing relationships, maybe also changing ways in which people present their gender in public, but it's not this complete... Changeover from you know oppression in the past and liberation in the present. It's more of maybe a gradual. You know, people are giving up some traditions; they're keeping some other traditions. And uh, what what Soviet social scientists were seeing over this period, starting in the nineteen fifties, also plays into this idea of some traditions are being given up some are staying, but there are changes in family life. Um, There were some studies done in the 1950s when Soviet sociologists were first able to sort of go out to villages that had collectivized, that had collective farms, and try to study. So, you know, what difference does it actually make? And one of the things they found was that in terms of really religious observances, there wasn't that much of a difference. People were still celebrating their religious holidays. They were still not turning out to work on those holidays, and there were some conflicts you know, with the collective farm leaders and administrators around that. Um, there was still this association between celebrating a religious holiday and the whole village getting drunk, and you know, again, no work getting done. But on the other hand, where people were noticing changes was in this area of family relationships. For one thing, in the 1950s Soviet Union, you were just after World War II, so there were many households that were being headed now by women because the men had died during the war and that was creating big changes. Um, There were also households that still had a male head of of house and um, where, as would have been traditionally the case, a young woman had moved into her husband's household to get married. But there, too, the sociologists were starting to see changes that, for instance, mother-in-laws, who before would have been sort of the total authority in that household, we were starting to defer to their daughters uh, or to their daughter-in-laws or give them, for instance, give the daughter-in-law the cash because the daughter-in-law could then go out and buy thread and do embroideries and sell them and have some cash income for the family. So as economic relationships were changing, these kinds of family relationships were changing too. And... Um, And then again, sometimes in a bit of a roundabout way, these scholars were trying to tie that to the decline of religion as well, saying that well, part of what's going on here is not just that the economy is changing, but it's also that these kind of religious ideologies that were upholding the older patterns of authority are becoming weaker, even though people maybe are still holding on to some of the traditions. And um, one area again where there are interesting visual ways of showing these changes is in um, thinking about weddings. Um, so the photo on the left is kind of a satirical representation from the 1970s, uh, where, again, there was some recognition that we are trying to construct this atheist society, but it's not always working, you know, people are still going to church, but then there was also a criticism of that, um, you know, these are maybe young, career-oriented people who, when they're being hired for a job, they would say, there's no God." I'm an atheist uh, because that was what was politically required of them in their society. But then when it's about having a wedding, having a nice ceremony, they would still go to church. Um, And on the right, you see a page from an album that's kept in a museum that shows the, the secular... Of modern Soviet wedding ceremonies that the state tried to to put in the place of these traditional weddings, so there was also an attempt to come up with new ceremonies that would replace the old religious ceremonies and that were often very very official and oriented toward the state so Um, Here we have the happy moment where the couple gets to kiss, but before again they would have had to listen to some kind of admonitions of how are you a responsible member of Soviet society and what are you going to do to contribute to that. And finally, um, in addition to this emphasis on new gender relations, Another aspect of what these atheist scholars kind of pinpointed as something that was new and kind of positive about a secular society was new inter-ethnic relationships. And again, that was all connected in their thinking about religion because in most parts of the Soviet Union, your religion and your ethnicity would match in some way. So if you were Russian, you would be likely to be a Russian Orthodox Christian. If you were a German, you might be a Lutheran or a Mennonite or Catholic. If you were a Tatar, you might be a Muslim. If you were Uzbek, you might be Muslim. So there, there was this connection in people's minds between who you are in terms of your ethnic background and who you are in terms of your religious background. And... Um, And part of the aims of Soviet power was to get people to kind of create some solidarities beyond their ethnic belongings and communities. So a standard part of Soviet surveys, when you were surveying the population about something, would be to ask two questions. One is the one that you see on the screen there. Would you object if your son or daughter married a person of another ethnicity? And another question was, does it matter to you what the ethnicity of your co-workers or your colleagues is in your work collective? And if you were a good Soviet citizen and sort of paid attention to the news, you sort of knew that you were supposed to answer no to both of these questions. Um, So all these survey results that you get, you always have to take them with a grain of salt because you can imagine that many people answered based on what they thought they had to answer rather than maybe what their true opinion was. But it's still interesting that in um, in the Mari Republic, so in a region where you ha- have this um, this nationality that I just showed you pictures of, in 1985, so pretty late into the Soviet project and the years of Soviet power, you still had 10.5% of identified religious believers, self-identified religious believers, saying, yes, actually, I would have some objections to a marriage between you know, my child and um, someone of another ethnicity. And um, only 3.2% of self-identified atheists had the same answer. Um, and there were similar figures also in this, these ideas about the: does it matter to you if your work collective is ethnically mixed or if it's of your ethnicity, um, that people who identified with the religious tradition were more likely to also want to have this, um, this ethnic unity. And um, part of what was going on there is that in this republic you have some ethnic minority populations who, when they were saying, "Well, you know, I would not want my child to marry somebody of another religion," really, what they were saying is, "I would want to maintain my ethnic community in some way, you know I would not necessarily feel comfortable with my child marrying an outsider um, but the the atheist scholars again took up these statistics, saying that this actually proves that atheism promotes some kind of inter-ethnic openness and it, it gets people to go beyond these boundaries of their former communities. And that's also how these you know, quirky figures that, that also get thrown into these uh, surveys fit in because they weren't only asking people about what do you think about people of other ethnicities, they were also asking questions such as like how many books do you read per month? How many times do you att- do you attend the cinema? And they were tying those again to religious belief or non-belief, and saying that, uh, and I mean finding actually in these answers that um, the atheists were more likely to attend the cinema and they were more likely to check out more books from the library um, and um, and again, this was being used as. Some kind of argument to say that it, severing ties with religion also made people to step out into the wider world and um, and open up to other interests, so these were the results of this kind of atheist soul searching in the Soviet Union when people asked themselves, so what do we have to put in the place of telling people there's no God? What they came up with, by and large, was we are telling people that there's something beyond their own local community that they should look for. Um, We are telling people that there are aspects of past traditions that were maintained through religious structures that promoted inequality for instance between men and women and also between older and younger people and atheism promotes this kind of equality and um, and they were also saying we are telling people to sort of tie into this greater Soviet project of unifying everyone under one heading of a state Uh, And with that, I wanted to end my kind of historical uh, information or overview that I wanted to give you.